today Bruce's message is entitled Unstoppable, Daring to Be a Church on a Mission, and I think we've got a great passage for that. It's going to be the first eight verses of Acts, and if you don't have a Bible, there should be a pew Bible in front of you, and the page number should be on the screen. So if you follow with me in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up after, he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of those things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Pray with me. Lord, we come to you right now, and we, we thank you for giving us this mission, and first, first sending your Son to save us, and then entrusting us with your so important mission of reaching out to others, God. I pray that uh, today we'd be able to listen and be able to soak in all that you have to say through, us, through the scripture and through what Bruce is about to preach to us, God. Thank you for all you do. In your name, amen. This morning we are starting a brand new worship series from the book of Acts that we're calling Unstoppable. I like that word, unstoppable. Something is coming and there's nothing anyone can do to stop it. It's unstoppable. It's kind of like a tornado or a tsunami or a stampede or or even like Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls in the 90s when they won six NBA championships in a span of eight years. They were unstoppable. Now, of course, the Patriots think they're unstoppable. The Seahawks think they're unstoppable. We'll see who, which team is unstoppable tonight. But unstoppable really is a word that best describes the early days of the church in the book of Acts. And so Acts... As we're going to see in the next few weeks here, it's one of the most exciting books in all of the New Testament. In fact, it's called Acts because the book is full of unstoppable acts, unstoppable action. Oh, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of conflict, there's plenty of controversy that threatened to stop the early church movement, but instead of killing it, these challenges simply fueled the fire that spread across the first century landscape. For example, we'll look at this later on in detail, but let me just give you a, a for example of this. In Acts chapter 4, the, the religious, religious leaders of the day tried to muzzle the message, the message of the gospel that Peter and John were boldly proclaiming. And so several times these religious leaders charged them not to speak, not to teach at all in the name of Jesus Christ. And, and so when Peter and John 
They're like, no way, man. They wouldn't keep quiet about it. The religious leaders just locked them up. But God sent an angel to restart what they tried to stop. And in Acts chapter 5, verses 19 through 20, it tells us during the night that an angel of the Lord opened the prison door and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And so the angel, the, he charged the apostles to basically go back to the temple and pick up where they left off. In other words, the angel was telling them, hey, don't lower the flag, don't soften the message, don't get subtle, don't get clever or cute, just go back to work, boys. And that's exactly what Peter and John did. They went right back to doing what God had called them to do. And in spite of the religious leaders' attempts to douse this, this passion of the early church, you go to Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it tells us that the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. That's what you call unstoppable. It's unstoppable. You just can't stop what God is doing. No matter what move man makes, God trumps it. And his mission moves forward. His hands are never tied. His message is never muted. No matter what opposition is thrown in its path, when the church of Jesus Christ is daring to be a church on mission, it is flat out an unstoppable force for God. That's really my heart's desire for our church. That's what we're praying for these 40 days. We want to be a church on mission. We want to be a church that's an unstoppable force for God. And, and that's the challenge before us. And so with that challenge, we're going to spend the next nine weeks kind of going through the book of Acts. We're not, we won't make it through all the book, believe me. We'll focus on the first part of it here for the next nine weeks leading up to Easter with the goal of being a church on mission. So with that in mind, let's just kind of dive right into this. What is the book of Acts all about? Since we're going to be studying the book of Acts, it's going to be our textbook, if you will. What is it all about? Well, notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. The book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles, tells the adventure of how the church spread from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, to the end of the earth, through ordinary people just like us. It, it really, the book of Acts, it tells the adventure of how the Christian faith moved from this tiny beginning in the city of Jerusalem with a handful of people gathered up in the upper room to the most important city in the world, which was Rome at that time, in a span of 30 years. And so what begins in Jerusalem ends in Rome with their eyes firmly set on expansion to the ends of the earth. In fact, uh, the theme verse for the whole book of Acts is, is found right here in, the, in verse 8 of the first chapter. Very familiar verse for most of us here where it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me where? In Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so that verse is kind of like the contents page of a book. That verse kind of serves as even a simple outline for the book of Acts. Uh, you have the church in Jerusalem, which basically covers chapter 1 through chapter 8. You have uh, the church spreading to Judea and Samaria, which covers kind of 
the, in the middle of 8 or 8-4 to chapter, middle of chapter 11. Then you have the church spreading to the ends of the earth in the middle of chapter 11 to the end of the book. And so in many ways, the book of Acts here is really, if you think about it, it's the answer to Jesus' statement that he made in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, when he says, hey, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so for this reason, Acts is a transitional book. It's a transitional book from the, from the Gospels, or uh, a transitional book, in a sense, from the Gospels, uh, uh, in the life of Christ in the Gospels, to the church of Christ in the Epistles. It serves as a bridge between the life of Christ in the Gospels, and by the way, the Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the Epistles are the rest of the book uh, of the New Testament minus Revelation. And so Acts is the bridge, if you will, between the Gospels, the life of Christ in the Gospels, and it serves as a bridge to the life of the church, or the church of Christ in the Epistles. And so the book of Acts is, is a condensed history. It's not an exhaustive story that tells everything we might want to know. The book of Acts doesn't answer every question we may have. Therefore, the book of Acts is, is descriptive in nature. It's not prescriptive. And what I mean by that is not everything we read in Acts is intended to say, hey, you as a church body today, you must do things this way for this purpose. You must do it this way forever in the church. In other words, not everything we see happening and going on in Acts is meant to happen the exact same way in the church today because it's a transitional book. And yet, there are very significant principles that we can apply to our church today. In fact, the very first significant principle has to do with, with the mission of the church. Notice this. In your notes and on the screen, the mission of the church. The church is to continue the mission Jesus began. The church is to continue the mission Jesus began. We see this principle in the opening verses of the book of Acts. Look at it with me one more time. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, where it says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now let me just, uh, before we move on, kind of give you just two little quick background uh, notes here. First, the book of Acts was written by Luke. The same guy, the same man who wrote the book of Luke or the gospel of Luke. In fact, when he says, the former account I made, he's referring to the Gospel of Luke. Second, the book of Acts was written to a man named Theophilus, or Theophilius, uh, however you want to pronounce it. This man was more than likely probably a, a, some type of Roman uh, official that had some knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Luke's aim now in writing Acts is to provide an accurate historical foundation for this man's faith in Jesus Christ, to increase it, to strengthen him, to nurture him, which brings us to a very key statement in understanding the relevance of the book of Acts for us and even our mission as a church today. In referring to the Gospel of Luke, Luke says, if you look back in verse 1, 
He says, the former account I made of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up. Now, we know that the Gospel of Luke basically contains the story of Jesus, the life of Christ. From his birth until his ascension into heaven. It's the story of what Jesus did. It's the story of what Jesus said while he was here on this earth. But notice what Luke says about that story that he wrote. He says, all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Now why would Luke use the word began. That's a fascinating way to put it. Luke is telling us that the story he told in the Gospel of Luke was, in other words, just the beginning of the deeds and teaching of Jesus. And now Luke is telling us that the the rest of the story in the book of Acts, think of it as you have volume 1 and you have volume 2. The Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Volume 1, Volume 2. In Volume 1, the Gospel of Luke tells us what Jesus began to do when he was here on this earth. In Volume 2, the book of Acts tells us what Jesus continues to do from heaven through his church here on earth. Here's the point. Jesus was taken up into heaven, but his mission on earth here did not stop. Rather, his church is to continue the mission that Jesus began while he was here on earth. Luke's second volume is called the Acts of the Apostles. But to be honest with you, that's really not a very accurate title. Here's why. Luke barely mentions most of the apostles. In fact, he reserves nearly all his comments for two men in particular. And that's Peter and Paul. In fact, a a more accurate title might be Some Acts of Some of the Apostles, only that's not very interesting, is it? That doesn't entice us to read the book of Acts. Uh, The book actually describes, though, the acts of Jesus Christ through his church. And so maybe a better title might be The Continuing Mission of Jesus Through His Church. That's really what the book of Acts is all about. And this is where we now, as a church full of Christ followers, where we as Glenwood, this is where we enter into the story. Over 2,000 years have come and gone since Christ walked on this planet Earth. And yet his work, get this, it continues to this day through people who make up churches like ours. What Jesus started long ago, we continue. And that's why we exist as a church, to continue the mission Jesus began. Which leads us to a question then. What is Jesus' mission? What was Jesus' mission while he was here on this earth? Well, let's look at it. Number one, Jesus' mission was to bring salvation to the lost. His mission was to bring salvation to the lost. Jesus states that his mission, this is kind of like his summary uh, mission statement, if you will. You go to Luke chapter 19, verse 10, and his mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. 
That's a very summarized way of saying it, basically, what his mission was. And, of course, Jesus was this totally unique person in all of history in that he alone was God, dwelling in sinless human flesh. John makes this clear in John chapter 1, verse 1 and 14. Listen to what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Drop down to verse 14. And that Word, who is Jesus Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then you drop down to verse 29. And Jesus' mission now was to to offer himself as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus was was about to complete this part of the mission, he prays to the Father. In John 17, verse 4, he says, I have glorified you, Father, on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And then right before Jesus dies on the cross, before he gives up his breath, what does he say? It is finished. But think about this. If Jesus' mission continues, then this begs the question, though, does it not? Is Jesus' work finished, or is it not finished? I mean, which is it? Well, here's the answer. Notice this on the screen in your notes here. The work of Jesus on the cross is finished. But the work of Jesus through the church is not finished. Now, in no way do we want to minimize the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12 says... But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. When Jesus cried, it is finished, the work of redemption was complete. Listen, the debt was paid. The sins were covered. The wrath was removed and Satan was mortally wounded. Jesus finished this work when he came to earth the first time. And listen, there is nothing we could do to ever add value to that. We can't add any more to that finished work. We can't add value of what Jesus did when he died and rose again. And so let's be very clear about this. When we speak of the continuing work of Jesus, we're not speaking about the work of salvation because he completed that work on the cross. It's finished. But I do want to stress, I want us to see here through the book of Acts, What Luke says here in Acts, that what Jesus did on earth in his deeds and what Jesus said on earth in his teaching was only the beginning of his doing and teaching. Now this is crucial for understanding the purpose of the book of Acts and who we are and what we do as a church because clear implication is that now, now that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, he is not finished. He's not seated at the right hand of the Father, just twiddling his thumbs, just passing time. Oh, no. He is not done with his work and with his teaching. He is not dead and he is not absent. He is alive and he is present. And his work of saving the lost and building his church continues today. Remember, the book of Acts is not just the the acts of the apostles. It is really the acts of Jesus Christ through his church. Jesus said, I will build my church. And that is exactly what Jesus is doing in Acts 
and in this age until he comes again. That's the whole point of the book of Acts. And that is why we exist. And that is what this age is all about. And so Jesus' mission, yes, to bring salvation to the lost was finished on the cross and that he paid the penalty. He paid that price of redemption to buy us back and to reconcile us to God. But people need to be told that. That message of the gospel, the message of what Jesus did has to be proclaimed. And so that brings us to point number two here. Jesus' mission continues through his church. Before Jesus was taken up into heaven, he gave orders to his apostles to continue the mission. Luke tells us in Acts, again in verse 1, the former account I made of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, this commandments here, that can refer to all that Jesus commanded the apostles over the course of the three years. We, in the Gospels, they're known as the disciples. He gathered 12 of them. He taught them. They traveled with him. He taught them how to do ministry, and he gave them commandments. And that word can refer to all the things that Jesus commanded. But specifically, it focuses on the final command to proclaim the gospel to all nations, to all peoples, beginning at home in Jerusalem. We see this command. If you go to Luke's first volume, Luke chapter 26, the very last chapter, verses 46 through 47, Luke writes, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be what? Proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. This command is, is also known as the Great Commission, which, again, our church is very familiar with in Matthew chapter 28, 19 through 20, where Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then Jesus, for the sake of these apostles, because let's be honest, they weren't the brightest in the beginning here, kind of like us, he restates it for them. He restates the mission for them. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. That's where they are now and in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, when you look out across our world today, whether it's lost people here in Kansas City, or unreached people groups across the world, there's no doubt Jesus' work is not done. And that's why we're still here. That's why our church exists. Our work is not finished because his work is not finished. We're one platoon in God's army. We are one local church among many local churches with the same mission. Jesus commissioned our church 75 years ago with the mission of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's what this church has been striving to do since 1939. That's our mission. 
That's why we exist. We're in Kansas City here to continue the work that Jesus started. And by God's grace, we're not going to stop until Jesus comes again. But here's the deal. Jesus uses people to accomplish that work. People like us. Ordinary people like us. So what exactly does he use? What kind of people? They're ordinary, but notice this. What kind of people does Jesus use to continue his mission? First of all, Jesus uses ordinary people captured by the message of the gospel. Now, let's be honest here. Sometimes we get discouraged when it comes to the work of Jesus Christ, fulfilling the mission of Jesus Christ. And oftentimes we wonder, man, can we do this job? Can we make any headway? But Luke tells us those first Christians, they took the message of the gospel and they turned the world upside down with it. Why? Because as we will see, the message of the gospel captured their hearts and minds. It changed their lives. Their conviction was, their belief for all their whole life was that Jesus had died as a substitute for sinners on the cross and he had risen from the dead and they believed it and they had even seen Jesus after he had risen again. You see, these apostles understood that if all that was true, then this was the greatest act of grace ever imagined. After all, God, the creator, dying for his rebellious creation so that they could be reconciled back to God. And they believed it was the most important message ever given because it is our only hope of salvation. Peter summarized the gospel message this way in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, when he says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And these apostles in Acts would take that message to the ends of the earth, beginning right here at home in Jerusalem. In fact, these apostles, they believed this message was worth giving their everything for even their life. They'd seen Jesus command storms. They saw him control demons. They saw him walk on water. They saw him heal lepers and raise the dead. And yet, in the hour of, of his greatest need on the cross, Jesus turned his back on those powers that he used so that he could give his life as a sacrifice for sin, for our sin. You know what their response was? Their response was, Lord, I mean, you are worthy to be worshipped. You are worthy of my life. You are worthy to take this message, your message, all over the world. And when the religious leaders tried to muzzle that message, tried to muzzle Peter and John specifically, from proclaiming that message, that gospel message, they kept right on proclaiming this good news of salvation in spite of prison and in spite of persecution. So here's a, here's a good question for all of us. The apostles had been captured by the gospel message. Have we? Have you been captured by it? Has it captured you until you can't shut up about it? 
Your neighbor, your friend tries to muzzle you. Doesn't work. Your, your employer tries to muzzle you. Doesn't work. Our media, our society tries to muzzle you from proclaiming the name of Jesus. And you just can't shut up about it. Prison won't work. The threat of persecution won't work. At least for Peter and John it didn't. But man, let's be honest. It seems like it doesn't take a whole lot to muzzle us. We, we, we need to think through that a little bit. They had been captured by the message of Jesus Christ because it was the only message worth proclaiming. After all, they had been changed, radically changed by that message. It's the only hope of eternal life. There is no other hope except in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus uses ordinary people like these apostles who are captured by the message of the gospel. Number two, though, Jesus uses ordinary people clothed with the power of the Spirit. When you look at these disciples before Jesus died on the cross, I mean, it is so easy to see that never had a more important mission been given to a less qualified group of people. The great difference between the disciples before the crucifixion and after the day of Pentecost is clearly attributed to the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them in Acts 1-8 that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit had come upon them. And that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. Before, listen, they were confused. They were often self-seeking. They were bickering with one another. They were fighting for the greatest spots among themselves. Who's going to sit first in line or at the head of the table? They were doubting. They were fearful. But afterwards, they were focused. They were self-sacrificing, self-denying, bold, confident. And the difference was the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit does a lot of things in the book of Acts, as we're going to see. I mean a lot of things. But one of the main things the Spirit does, get this, is He gives people boldness to proclaim the gospel message. For example... In the next chapter, chapter 2, verse 4, the Holy Spirit fills the apostles at Pentecost and they begin to declare God's praises in multiple languages. In Acts chapter 4, verse 8, Peter is now filled with the Spirit and he preaches to these religious leaders that Jesus is their only hope of salvation. The same leaders that basically were in charge of crucifying him. In Acts 4.31, the disciples are filled with the Spirit, and they speak the Word of God boldly in the face of severe persecution. In Acts chapter 9, verse 20, another guy comes on the scene by the name of Paul, and he is filled with the Spirit, and he immediately begins to preach in the synagogues. So, here's another good question for us. Is this me? Is this you? Do you share the gospel message with others and point them to Jesus? Because the Holy Spirit's power is working in your life. Now, we all have our excuses for why we don't, why we can't. We've probably used a number of those excuses before. For example, well, I just don't have what it takes. Yes, you do. I do too. Listen, you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. 
And he wants to use you to share the good news of the gospel. So the excuse, I don't have what it takes, just doesn't hold any water. Just doesn't work. Or the excuse, man, it's not my gift. That may be true, but it's still the responsibility of every Christ follower to at least share what Christ has done for us and what he can do for others. Or the excuse, I just don't have time. That's true. We're all busy, and that's why Jesus said in the Great Commission, as you go, that's really what that idea is, as you go, make disciples. Think of it as just living life, and as you're living life, do so with gospel intentionality. Or perhaps you've used this excuse, man, talking to other people about Jesus just makes me feel weird. Well, of course it does. But here's the thing, is the gospel important enough to feel a little weirdness? I mean, can you imagine using that excuse with Stephen and Paul? They're, they come to you, we have this conversation, hey, they're like, man, so how'd you share, how was it going sharing your testimony in the gospel this week? Well, I, I didn't share this week because, you know, I, I'm just, I, I feel a little weird. And they're like, whoa, wow. Oh, well, well, we got stoned because we didn't stop talking about Jesus. You, I mean, you kind of see the difference here. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. And I quote his words. He says, if Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You will be whispering it into your child's ear. You will be telling it to your husband. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charms of eloquence, you will be more eloquent. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. Every Christian here, he says, is either a missionary or an imposter. It cannot be that there is a high there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. If you really know Christ, you are like one that has found honey. You will call others to taste of its sweetness. You are like the beggar who has discovered an endless supply of food. You must go tell the hungry crowd that you have found Jesus and you are anxious that they should find him too. And so Jesus' mission, listen, it continues through ordinary people like me and like you, ordinary people who have been captured by the gospel message, people who have been clothed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And folks, listen, the stakes are high. The stakes are high. You get to the end of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, and it says they were cut to the heart. That is the people he was preaching to. And then they asked Peter, hey, what should we do? And Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then it says in verse 40, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. And then just feel the passion of what Peter says next. He says to them, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Man, that's the message we're proclaiming to this world to our family, our friends, our co-workers, and to unreached people groups. Listen, save yourself from this generation through Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. Because there is no other hope. Make no mistake, the stakes are high. 
Listen, what we're talking about here is so much bigger than who wins the Super Bowl tonight. We're talking about the mission of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the message, the life-changing message of the gospel to save people from their sins. We're talking about the eternal destiny of people's lives. The stakes are high, and Jesus wants to use you to continue his mission. So what does this mean for us? Just a couple, couple takeaways here. One truth to take away. God is at work through his church. God is at work through his church. Listen, God didn't just send his son, pull him off the planet, and then stop working. Jesus began the work, and his church now continues the work. That's why he saved us, and that's why he leaves us here on this earth, and why our church exists. This, yesterday, not yesterday, but uh, Friday, I went and saw uh, Greg, Gregory Abraham in the hospital. You guys be in prayer for Greg. He needs it. Right, family? Right, Nancy? And uh, he was... He was he was working down in Arkansas. He travels a little bit for his job, and they found him unconscious in his hotel room. And he was in ICU uh, for a couple days in a hospital in Arkansas. Nancy and the family drove down there to see him. They had to wait till he got stabilized a, a little bit before they, Nancy could drive him up to Kansas City here from Arkansas. And he's now down at St. Luke's on the plaza. What happened, he had, didn't realize he had diabetes and had, went into some type of coma related to diabetes. And uh, so I saw him Friday, and, um, and we just got to talking, you know, about a little bit why this happened, which you know, only God knows the full extent of why he would allow something like this to happen. But to be honest with you, we, we talked about, you know what, Greg, you're lucky to be alive. And it's not luck. God spared your life. And God has a reason for that. God still has more for you to do here on this earth. His purposes for his kingdom. And we just, we talked just a little bit about that. God didn't take you home. God left you here. And folks, God has left our church here, and he's left me here, and he's left you here, instead of just taking us on home to heaven. As much as we want to go home to heaven, we're here. And we have a job to do. We have a mission to do. And that's to continue the mission that Jesus began. God is at work in his church. The question becomes, though, and this is a question for me. It's a question for you. It's a question for our church corporately. Am I committed to God's work through his church here at Glenwood? Am I committed to God's work through his church at Glenwood? Listen, Jesus only needs one thing from us. That's our unreserved commitment to him. I love what one longtime pastor said. Ray Steadman makes this point in his book on Acts, and I quote his words. He says that whether in the Gospels or in Acts, God uses incarnation. His life manifested through human life as his strategy, strategy to change the world. The book of Acts, he says, is the record of men and women possessed by Jesus Christ and manifesting his life every day. Man, that's us. Think about it. On this earth, Jesus Christ has no hands, but the hands of his people yielded to him. 
on this earth. Jesus Christ has no feet but the feet of his people to carry the gospel message. His only eyes are your eyes to see the world as he sees it. His only, the only lips he has are your lips to open and share the good news. God uses people to accomplish the work. We are here to continue the mission. I'll end with this story. The story is told, and it's a fictitious story, by the way. Please don't leave here thinking this is true. The story is told that on the day the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven, he happened to see Gabriel the angel. And so they had this talk. Gabriel asked Jesus, well, how did it go? And the Lord Jesus Christ said, excellent, great. Did they make you king? No. Did they make you a prince? No, Jesus said. Did they worship you? Most of them, no. Well, what happened then? They crucified me. Then they worship you, right? No, not exactly. So what happened? Jesus tells Gabriel, I left my people down there. Oh, so, so you got a couple of million followers, right, Jesus? No. A hundred thousand followers. No. A couple thousand. No. Well, Jesus, how many did you leave down there? 120. 120, that's all? That's all. Well, are you going back down to help them out? Not right now. Well, how are they going to make it? Oh, they'll make it. Well, what if they fell? Do you have another plan? There is no other plan, Jesus says. But what if they fell, Gabriel finally asked. I'm not worried, Gabriel. I know them. They're mine. They will not fail. And of course, they didn't fail. We are here today because they didn't fail 2,000 years ago. And what God provided for them, He provides for us even today. We have the same God, we have the same Holy Spirit, we have the same gospel message, and we also have the same mission as a church. And we pray, and I hope you are praying during this 40 days of prayer time. This, we're praying that God would pour out His grace on us, that He would bless us as we continue the mission that Jesus began. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you and we cry out to you as our Heavenly Father, as your children, as your sons and daughters who have been saved, radically saved by your grace and your son's sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And Lord, now you want to continue to use us as a church family here at Glenwood, we are to continue that mission. And Lord, we need your help in that. We need your strength, your power, your grace. We need to be captured by the message all over again. And Lord, we need to be yielded to your spirit, your power. For we cannot do this on our own. And Lord, I pray that we would give ourselves to you unreservedly that we would not be muzzled by our culture, by our friends, our family, 
whatever the case may be, but we would be bold and confident in living for you, on mission for you, as individuals and as a church family here at Glenwood. Lord, we ask that you would do a work in us and through us in helping people to come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Our response here, Zach's just going to sing a, a chorus. And I, I, my, my, what I'm asking you to respond is just to give yourself, commit your life to Jesus Christ and to this mission. Recommit your life to this church as we strive to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ.